So two two episodes ago, we recorded the episode that I called Friend Request Purgatory in reference to our conversation about the people who we've just left and the friend request queue for some unreasonable length of of time. And I called that friend request purgatory. And then after thinking about it, I realized, really, these people would be better described as being in friend request limbo because it's not clear that these people will ever pass through <laughs> the gates and make it into being my friend. In this analogy, being my friend is like equivalent to, to being in heaven, just to be clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> Purgatory kind of implies that they are going through some kind of a purification process and that eventually they will make it in, which is not the case. I think if the situation was that somebody was requesting to be my friend, but I was still mad at them for some long ago thing, but I was planning on eventually letting them in after I eventually got over whatever grudge I was still holding against them, in my mind, that'd be friend request purgatory. I agree, because then the... You know it's going to happen, but it's uncertain when. So really, it should be friend request limbo, but I'm not going to change it because that'd be too much work. I think it sounds cooler. I think it sounds cooler too. Just leave it alone. Other follow-up from the very last episode. Cree ended up talking to the owner, or I guess technically the owner's uh, husband of the the float studio afterwards because he knows him. And we ended up finding out that there was some motion sickness uh, medicine available at the front desk if for people who ask for it, basically. If they know they're prone to motion sickness. That, and to me, that's the catch, is if they know that they're prone to it and they expect it to happen. I usually don't have issues with it. It's so rare. Like We've, we've gone to amusement parks together, right? And ridden roller coasters, no issue. I've been on boats uh not that often but every once in a while without issues never had any issues there's just some really specific circumstances that i'll have an issue with it so i didn't even consider it as a possibility but it is good to know that at least some places apparently think about that and my yeah my my friend said it it's very common if they know that this is going to happen and and like you said you don't necessarily connect the two together i think you even mentioned it on the last episode it's a, a thing where if you can't see what's actually happening, the movement, then your brain interprets it something differently and then you panic, get real hot, and throw up. That's a defense mechanism. <laughs> Imagine if you had to throw up whenever you're in distress. And some people do that. Maybe you're giving a speech and you get very nervous and just start throwing up. I don't I don't think of it as a defense mechanism cuz I think of defense mechanisms as being something useful. So in my mind a defense mechanism is like the you feel threatened so you get that rush of adrenaline from your adrenal glands and that gives you like temporary superpowers, makes you extra strong, can run faster. So that's that's useful. In my mind getting so stressed out or that you get sick or getting motion sickness is like a malfunction rather rather than something that your body does to try and help with the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. In, some, in some cases, if you're around a lot of people and you don't want to be around people, if you throw up, people are going to scatter. That's a good point. <laughs> but you won't have very many friends if you throw up on somebody. Okay. Yeah. So I've mentioned before on the show that I'm pretty into privacy. And one of the things that I do to try and maximize my my personal privacy on the internet is I have different passwords for like every single online account of mine, which is some huge number of accounts at this point as well. And the other day, I just had this thought of if something happens to me to where I'm like in a coma, or if I even die or something like that, it would be a nightmare for anybody like any of my loved ones, to try to find a way to get into all these different accounts and just like settle everything, get stuff straightened out with money, places, accounts where I have money saved. So basically like banking or investment accounts, different things that I'm subscribed to that charge me money every month that would need to be 
canceled, social, you know, network sites, just all these different things. If something happens to me, I don't know what happens to all of those. I don't even know what that process looks like to get all this stuff straightened out. Like, is there some legal mechanism by which you can contact the companies and say, hey, this person is like dead or incapacitated or something and I need to be able to get into their account? How does all this stuff even work? I I actually don't know that much because I haven't had reason to look into it. But I've been starting to get a little bit concerned about this and that maybe I need to come up with some kind of a plan. I have thought about it. I think for 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 some folks who have shared accounts, spouses, and that things are simplified, and both there's more than one person that knows all the accounts and passwords to get in. Basically, you don't have any any sort of data backup for that. I don't either, and I have wondered about this. I'm 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 worried about it, but not to the point where I'm actively pursuing a solution. <laughs> Because the likelihood of of something th- that serious happening, where you're incapacitated or unable to to do anything, low probability. At our age, it's small, but it is a chance. Cause there is see, a chance. Yeah, car accidents and all these other crazy things that do happen. Two of my my dad's good friends passed away due to unfortunate illnesses, cancer, but they had a period of time to settle all these things which I think would be very stressful. Their last few weeks, while they're still able to function, they spend a lot of time bringing other people up to speed and handing over things or accounts to settle. I don't even know what... I know there's a phrase to use. Getting your affairs in order yeah. is the general term. Even that is kind of strange to think about, though, because it feels almost like when you're leaving a job and... It's on like amicable terms. Terms, maybe you're even accepting a different job within the same company. So they're bringing in the new person to replace you before you even leave, and there's some kind of like a handoff or transition period where you're trying to explain all this stuff to the next people. It's like that, but you're not leaving a job. You're leaving planet Earth. <laughs> you're you're going to be. It's this is strange. You br- you brought up something that I I did want to talk about the way a work transition happens. And that's how I think about my solution to to this is in my job, there's some things that are are standardized in terms of here's what you do, here's where you go and get it done, and here's a link to the file. So it's one Word document with brief descriptions and links to different things. Here's how you do this task and how to do it. So like a little cheat sheet. I've sort of got that going for other accounts because it's difficult for me to keep track of all the different things, times to pay bills and um, the different logins and passwords. If I could, I'll just have one one username, one password for everything. But that's... That's really insecure. That's very insecure, highly susceptible to to intrusion, not a good situation. Another thing to think about is I change my passwords every once in a while Yeah, because it's almost like passwords have an expiration date in some sense. Like if you don't change them every once in a while, the odds of someone figuring it out are they just go up over time, right? So it's it's like you would need to keep things updated as well, which is a huge pain. The obvious solution here is if you use any kind of like a password manager, yes. whether it's a separate app or you even just like, like if you're totally all in in the Apple ecosystem, Apple has a built-in keychain one that comes with it. So there are a couple different ways where you could just hand over one single password and account name that people could log into to get access to everything. But of course, then that's a single point of failure for your whole life, right? Because yes. and I don't like the fact that anything like that could exist. Because yeah. I just think it's a liability in addition to being something that would be helpful for your family. It's it's a liability. If any point if somebody gets into that one thing, then everything's just screwed. Here's a different way to look at it, and I'm gonna. I don't know how how big you're into Harry Potter. I've just, seen the movies. Not good enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's something in the in the books 
that they call Secret Keeper. Okay. And it, it came up in the movies. I don't know how frequent because it's been years since I've seen him. But in the books, it's it's a main, it's a very big spell device in the in the movie. But the Secret Keeper is entrusting something like a password secret instead of into a document or like one weak point that you entrusted into another person and they cannot break that secret they keep it for spouses that works pretty well for like you and i that that doesn't there's no you need to find a secret keeper and that solves because then you put your trust in a person because someone is not going to try and hack into another person at least that technology doesn't exist yet i say yet elon musk is 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 working at it i just don't i don't like the idea of someone else having that key before I'm dead. To me, it's it's like not even about not trusting anybody else. I don't even like putting that burden on another person. I don't know. It's hard to articulate. Maybe it's slightly, this might be slightly irrational. I, I think this has come up before where somebody asked me to just look at something on their phone real quick. Hey, can you reply to this person? Can you do whatever? Well, your phone is locked. So, oh, the passcode is just one, two, three, four. I don't like even being told that. I don't like the fact that now I know that and it's just in my head and it presents opportunities for conflicts of interest. I don't even like knowing. I feel like I'm a good person who's never going to take advantage of that, but I don't even like that that is an option that now exists, that now I know this information. Regardless of whether it's friends, romantic interests, I just... I don't like knowing people's passwords in general. We, we've talked about this a few times. It's funny, the very first time I remember it coming up, it was years and years ago. Probably like within the first year or two that we, we met. I don't even remember this. I remember it because we were, we were driving somewhere. I was driving and you were sitting in front. And if you remember, my car at the time was manual. And I don't like to use my phone while driving anyway because you're not supposed to. And I, I can only do one thing at a time. So I gave you my phone. I said, like, hey, can you text or send a message to someone? We're on the way. But I didn't have their phone number. It was in Facebook. And it wasn't a, an easy... I wasn't going to type it out. So I started to tell you. And you went, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Just uh, and I thought it was just a very aggressive response to something I thought was pretty reasonable. But that was one of the first times. And I, I, get, I get where you're coming from. That's just how, how you view privacy. So what if, instead of giving out your password for your phone, you added your significant other's or friend's fingerprint, and so they have their own... Like temporarily. Or permanent. Or, or temporarily. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I like this because what it reminds me of is some like Wi-Fi routers let you create like guest temporary guest passwords. So if you have people over and they want to use the Wi-Fi, you can give them this... The guest version. This, the guest version. Yeah. And I don't even know if they need to know. I can't remember how this is executed in different versions. It could be different. But basically, they log in with that, and then that password disappears, eventually stops working, and then it goes back to just being, you know... The, it's actually, I, I think, and it all depends on the network, but... I got my parents a new router and modem and, and set it up for them. And there's multiple, for lack of a better word, accounts on it. So there's the primary 5G, and then there's a guest version. But you could rename it. The stock naming was guest, but you could change it to something else so that when your guests do connect, they don't know it. In case they're insulted by the fact that you're giving them yeah. guest access. In case, yeah. Which I feel like if somebody's insulted by the fact that I'm giving them guest access, they can just stop being a guest then because you mean move in or just, just <laughs> I mean leave. I mean leave. <laughs> like it was, I don't know. I, I, I can remember one time in college someone wanted to borrow my laptop. I think I, I just created a quick guest account for them rather than <laughs> turning turning over like my actual logged in laptop. In my mind, it's not an insulting thing to do because I don't even want to have access to someone's normal computer because I don't want to accidentally see something that I, I shouldn't see. I don't even totally like when somebody hands me their phone 
and they're like, hey, look at look at this picture. And they're like, oh, okay, that's a cool picture of whatever it is. Yeah, I took more of them. Just keep swiping. That even that makes me nervous because then it's like I'm playing camera roll roulette basically, and I just keep going until what I'm supposed to be looking at stops, and then I start seeing stuff I'm not supposed to see. People's camera rolls. That's risky business. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My, my opinion on that is, I don't take and see, I don't take any pictures or have any pictures that I don't want anyone to see. That's the simplest thing. So this has come up between you and I before, looking at some old pictures, and you were working the the computer. Oh you yeah, very, this came you, up just the other day. You were yeah. very you were very hesitant. I'm like, look, dude, there's nothing on there that that's gonna be weird, other than pictures of you and I. That's that's about the weirdest. Which are all weird. They're all weird. Yeah, I do recall one instance. A friend handed me his phone to look at something and said, "Keep swiping. There's a few more." I swiped one too far, saw something pretty weird. He knew I saw it. <laughs> Got a little embarrassed, but some some girl had sent him a picture of the erotic nature. I don't know who the girl was. Didn't see her face. But wasn't expecting it. He forgot it was in there. Just really weird. For you, yeah. That's yeah. I think for him too. I think I don't know. I the, would <laughs> The closest I've come to that is I, I have had the same thing happen, but I think the the worst has been it I accidentally saw just some real awkward like selfie. I haven't seen anything too bad. I don't know about Android phones, but I do know iPhones have this guided access thing built in to where you can set it so that whatever app is open, you can't leave that app unless the password is typed in. Actually, I think I think you can set it in a way that it's pretty easy to turn to turn on before you hand your phone to somebody. Like you could just like triple tap the home button or something. But how would you feel though if I say, hey Cree, I want you to look at something and then I, I engage that that thing, hand it to you. You finish looking at whatever and you hit the home button and it says, hey, you're in like guest mode <laughs> guest mode for my phone just for you to look to something would you be insulted by that though i wouldn't there's there's very few things that do insult me so i wouldn't here's a solution to that okay so but apple's when face id came out you'd use your face to unlock your phone but if that feature was enabled all the time you hand your phone over to someone if it doesn't detect your own face then automatically limits the, the app usage. I, the, the way I think about it in my mind, for for work setting, or your work computer, at least for my work, the network capabilities of all the, sh- the drives and folders have unique user privileges. If, right. you, if you're in the accounting department, you get access to only the accounting stuff. Everything exists. The files are there. But me as an engineer, I don't have reason to access it, so the default is not to do it. You could set the same thing up for your phone where your known users, such as a spouse, friend, you can set up their profile and, and use Face ID. It's like there's different users for your phone. Maybe so the solution to this is nobody should just ever touch my phone ever. <laughs> and if I need to show you something on my phone, I do it purely through the mechanisms that ex- I treat it as if you were in a different town, yeah. right? Airdrop. Stuff Snapchat. to you, snap, snap you a screenshot, do whatever, and then just do that universally, and never my phone just never leaves my hand. This is like the future, the Black Mirror version of um, sharing things. Well, in the future, when the computers are inside of our heads, I think this will be the only option, right? Because I won't be able to hand you my head. Yeah. So it'll all be just wireless uh, communication protocols. Right now, we're communicating via wireless. Right now. Did you know that? Well, we're communicating through sound waves, which I guess, yeah, there's, there are no wires the, between it's us. It's wireless okay. technology. The other, the other thing that just came up not that long ago, because we were talking about it for, for some reason, is location sharing. So I, th- I think you said... Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but your family and you just indefinitely have your locations shared with each other, correct? That is correct. But I still get asked, where am I? <laughs> the most recent time, uh, my mom's trying to get a hold of my sister. 
she can see that she's at some location. Or maybe uh, or this was the problem. Uh, she couldn't see where her location was. So for some reason, it wasn't updating. Maybe there's a connection issue. Maybe she's dead. Right? That's, <laughs> that, that was that's, the, whole, that's the first. That's the conclusion. Yeah. That it's like, oh, she's, we just spoke to her. Everything's fine. You can't get a hold of someone for five minutes. Assume the worst. Yeah. That's that's my family motto. Assume the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, so my mom sends a, a few messages to the group chat. My dad and I see it. Reply. Sister is not not responding. So my mom starts sending out a bunch more. The I I, I looked up the where she was and it was and it showed. I think she was near the gym or at the gym. So I said, "Back, just just by working out." Not with a phone, and just give it. Let's give it some time. Relax, and sure enough, everything is fine. But I, I, I came up, uh, or I, I agreed to share my location to avoid the. Where are you? Trying to get a hold of you, but you're not responding. So this seemed to eliminate some of the nonsense. And if I, yeah, and if I somehow go missing, then at least there's some link to where my phone is. Hopefully, it's near where I am, and then they can they can help track down. To me, this is something that I get. I get why people would do this specifically like with their loved ones, just have their location indefinitely granted, right, access to it. But I still feel weird about it. And it goes back to the same reasons of just like, what's a reasonable amount of privacy to have? You can always answer that with, well, if you don't have anything to hide, then it's fine. I've always found that comeback so unsatisfying because to me, that attitude is just like, well, why even have the Fifth Amendment? If you don't have anything to hide, then the police should be able to search your house whenever they want because you're not doing anything illegal, so what do you care? Because in my mind, there's like just different stuff that you want to keep private, maybe you find embarrassing or whatever, just various reasons that aren't necessarily bad or illegal or whatever the thing is, but you just want to keep them private. So I've definitely used the location sharing thing before, but what's so great about it is it's real easy to say, share for an hour, share for the rest of the day, whatever. That's great. I like that that's easy to do. So I've used that definitely plenty of times. One like feature that I think would make me feel a lot better about doing it would be if there was a log kept of when the people who you're sharing your location with access your location. So there's some kind of two-way accountability there. If you ever need to look up where I am, you can do it, but I'm going to get a notification that you checked my location. So to me, that's an idea that I've thought of that I don't know if any system does this right now, but that would make me feel better about it. Because then if somebody's constantly just looking, it's kind of like, hey, what's the deal here? They're obsessed with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's a good. That's a good one. I'm sure a log exists just for data tracking purposes for the various companies and apps that 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 offer location sharing. Back to your, or if you don't have anything to hide, if you're not doing anything illegal, you don't have anything to hide. If you're planning a surprise party for your significant other and you go about running errands and collecting different different things to prepare for the surprise party, and you get you, you tell a white lie to your significant other of where you've been, and then they check. Then that creates an issue of trust. Where you're trying to do something. There are some lies that are okay to tell, and that's what I'm getting to, where you can lie about where you've been, and it's no big deal. That's just the way things things go. But for me, the location sharing with East My Family is more of a security thing. It makes my parents feel better, mainly my mom. I don't think my dad... Ever checks it. I think when we were setting it up, he was even reluctant. He was like, you share me your location. I'm not sharing mine. <laughs> I think that was his stance, but he, he, he came around. I guess kind of steering this back to the whole concept of what happens when you, when you die nowadays or anything like that. To me, an example of Something I would be uncomfortable with other people seeing, even though I didn't, it's not technically, I didn't do anything wrong. I do journal quite a bit. It's a way for me to get out a lot of different thoughts, think through things. The, the way you describe journaling and writing things down, I use it for if I've got a problem and I, I need to think through solutions. You've got a mess of things going through your mind and writing it down, the act of writing it down, going through that is like 
doing a defrag on your brain. So essentially my concern would be something like someone reading through those. Like your personal My personal thoughts. notes, thoughts to self. Those weren't intended for other people to read. Some of them at some point, maybe, some of them could come up on this podcast. Some of them could come up on other things that I write or that I, I make in the future, but they're not at that point yet. There's a difference there because you're choosing to reveal it by talking about it on the show yeah. or to different people. You've shared a couple of things with me from your journaling, but it's different than someone discovering it after you die, people are going through your belongings to scavenge for things that are useful without you there to, to police it. We have talked about this different thing well, or, or this particular scenario where if, if something happens to you and you're not around, what's the big deal? Because you're dead? Is that what you're the dead, is? <laughs> yes. I, I, the, way I, the way I phrase it, you're not around, could mean this is a very hypothetical example, but you happen to be in a situation where you're not there to police your belongings and someone reads it. Maybe, maybe you're at home visiting for the weekend and you go out somewhere, your notebook's lying around and a relative reads it. Probably not good. But that's different if they were to discover it when you're dead. I think those are two different things because if you're dead, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't really feel embarrassment. <laughs> kind of related to this in like a old school analog way. I remember, uh, so my grandparents on my father's side, they died years ago at this point. I can remember going through some old stuff in the attic with my dad and stumbling upon a box of letters, which if I remember correctly, because this was, this was years ago, but I believe that they were letters between my grandmother and grandfather when he was fighting in World War II. And there was just so many letters in that box. I kind of wanted to read them. And I, I, I can't remember, this has been enough years now, I can't remember if my grandmother was still alive at this point or if she had passed away yet. Either way, like I said, this was years ago, I was younger. I kind of wanted to read them. I wanted to see what kind of stuff they said to each other, just like curiosity. Mm -hmm. I, and a lot of it's like just, I would really like to be able to hear some firsthand accounts of what was going on with my grandfather when he was fighting in, in the war. He's not around anymore. I can't ask him. When he passed away, I was young enough that I feel like even if he did tell me any kind of stories, I, they're all gone by now anyways, and I don't know if there's any record of this stuff. So I was really curious to want to read these. And my dad basically intervened and was like, yo, we're not reading those. Those are between them. It's not our stuff. We're not reading them. And I kind of felt like that was a little bit irrational to me at the time. But now that I'm older at this point, I kind of get that. These were letters that he wrote for her to read and she wrote for him to read, not for anybody else. Part of me still would like to be able to read them, like I said, just... It's a way to remember and learn more about your, your, your yeah. grandparents. I think that part will... If, if I stumble upon the same thing, I would want to read them for those reasons. This is a wild thought here. Maybe your dad knew something that he didn't want you to know. And it was <laughs> buried in those letters. Uh, yeah, that's always a possibility, I guess. I feel if I, if, if, if I were to die and someone were to go through all my things, they'd be... Disappointed? They'd be disappointed. <laughs> Well, because you know what I, 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 I remember being being younger and reading different things written by famous historical figures like say Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, whoever it is, and you read it, and it's like, all right, well, who, what is this from? Was this from a book that they published, an op-ed, and some newspaper at the time? And then you find out it was a letter written between them and it's like one of their friends. So that there's just all these letters sitting around of private communications between public figures. And after they die, all these historians and different people go through all of their things and then they become public. And of course, I'm not some public noteworthy figure that people are going to be motivated to go through all my stuff and then publish it in some volume or whatever. But I've seen that with other, other people and I don't, I don't know that I like it. Like I, I remember seeing at one point in a bookstore, 
some of Kurt Cobain's private journals now been published. This feels kind of exploitative. Yep. I even feel a little strange about it when an artist dies and then after the fact, their estate releases a novel, mm-hmm. musical album, whatever it is, that was in an incomplete state. I don't know. Unless unless there's ex- consent. Your, your, yeah, the consent or, from you. I have a lot of thoughts around people's right to privacy in life. I'm less firm in my convictions about privacy like after you die, but I still I still feel like people still have a, should have a reasonable right to privacy in death, even though, like you're saying, you're dead, so who cares on the one hand, but... When, when someone famous that people want to know more about, if they, if they happen to die and they have, they've got personal items, I think they get released to make money, is the short version of it. The, the family may want to share or have their memory live on. That, that's, that's probably a, a, a good motive for doing that. But then there is additional money from it. Not saying everybody's doing that, but I, I do feel that's one of the motives. If you die, I know I'm not making any money going through your journals. Uh, I don't know, man. There's some good stuff in there. There's <laughs> a lot of projects that I just haven't gotten around to, yeah. but could be some big money makers. Yeah. My general philosophy on if I don't want someone to see something, then I, I don't record it, take a picture. I have no trace of it at all. So your solution to the problem of people seeing stuff that you don't want them to see is just don't have anything that you wouldn't want someone to see. Yeah. That's one approach. That's hard to beat. You're basically, this is like the abstinence argument. The only fully effective form of birth control is to not not have sex, right? Oh, so there's things that I'd feel embarrassed if someone saw them. If someone happens to see them, it's like, well, that's, that's, that's who I am. Most of it's like funny memes or... Or things that I think are funny between like a small group of friends, but they're just stupid. I haven't been into the journaling thing, but I have I have jotted down a few notes that I think I think that falls under the category of probably don't want anyone to see this. But if I die, have at it because I'm not going to care. You know, it's it's funny because back in like high school, Facebook was only just then beginning to really take off. And there were some other sites which were like more popular, like MySpace. So I can remember having a MySpace and MySpace was also really popular for posting music because it was pretty easy to make a, a page for a band and then put audio files on there. So I posted some pretty awkward and definitely, I would I would say today, cringy songs on MySpace. To clarify, some, these are these are personal, written by Greg Samick, written and performed by me. I mean, even then, they were pretty absurd and silly. I was self aware about the fact that they're ridiculous. Nowadays, I, I I probably wouldn't have shared those publicly. I'm not saying I thought that they were really good. They were they were pretty ridiculous and over the top on purpose, but still. It was a way to you wanted to express it so that you uploaded. Am I right? That, it was that, a different. I don't know. It was a different time as well. You know, social media was still so new, and I don't know. I I felt less weird about that than I than I do today. Just yeah. for whatever whatever reason or or sets of reasons. So I posted things that I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't post today, and they were under pseudonyms, not under my name, fortunately, but they were still there. And actually, this caused some extra problems because I used pseudonyms and separate emails and everything. I ended up forgetting how to even log in. I didn't know how to log into MySpace to take these things down because I didn't know what the password was anymore. And all I could do was try and reset it. But I had forgotten the email password to even reset the password for the MySpace thing because I had done this all. And what I felt like was a more secure way so that it was that's kind the of most, firewalled. If it keeps yourself out, that's the most secure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody was getting in there. And and I remember like years later thinking about this and, and like not liking the fact that these existed, that they were kind of a liability and that oh. I wish that there was a way to get rid of them. You're even right. though even though I wasn't using my name, fortunately. But then I can't remember when this happened, maybe months ago now or more. 
there was this news of MySpace, a bunch of their old servers and or databases crash, whatever. All of this MySpace data was just lost, never to be retrieved again because of some hardware failures. And I checked and that stuff's now gone. So I got off the hook that it just disappeared. For for a while there, it felt kind of weird having the stuff that you created and now regret, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even really prove that it's it's yours. It was a weird place to be in, and it's definitely something going forward that I'm I'm gonna be more mindful of. Of just like I don't know. I mean, even nowadays, I think it's pretty safe to say that once one copy of something exists. Practically an infinite number of them can exist, right? That's just the online. nature of digital things. Yeah, online. Once there's one copy of a digital thing, there might as well be a million. It's hard to delete every copy of something. There's always going to be some other copy. <clears throat> Another example of this, there was a podcast back years and years ago when podcasting was still much more niche. There's a podcast that I really, really liked. And it was hosted predominantly by these three guys, but they did it anonymously. They didn't want people to know their real names. They didn't want any of what they talked about to come back to them in their personal lives or at work or anything like that. They felt real weird about... And they didn't even talk about anything that controversial. Did they use voice-altering software? No, they, they didn't. And they still used their first real names and that. But again, this was just a different time, I okay, think, is, right. is part of it. If it was it. years ago, you could, it was more difficult to connect the dots. I think people would have... Like nowadays, if someone did that, they would find it really absurd that you would even think you could get away with being anonymous for that long if you're using your real name and voice and everything. But back then, it seemed more plausible that you could get away with it. And they did for like years. And then eventually, someone figured out who they were or they, they knew them and then figured out they had the podcast and they kind of leaked it or whatever. It started getting around who they actually were. So they decided they had talked about it previously. If it ever came out, like who exactly they were, they were just going to quit. And so they did. They released a farewell, like one farewell episode of like, hey, here's, here's what's happening. Sorry, guys, we don't want to do this anymore. If people are going to know who we are, they weren't bluffing. I, I was actually, I was impressed that they, they just totally walked away from everything, deleted every episode, deleted the website, nuked the podcast. Do you think that was... Something they pre-recorded, the the farewell thing. No, the fr- the farewell was not pre-recorded because they talked about it as like, here's here's what's going on, okay. here's what happens, here's why we're getting rid of everything, just so you guys know. But they had enough of like a cult, passionate following of people. Years later, I discovered you can find torrents of all their podcasts. Some people have taken all the episodes and they host them on their own wow. podcast things. So it's practically like the I mean the archive still exists in a number of different places you can find it even though they wanted to get rid of it because enough people downloaded it had copies of it so they could just re-upload it whatever so even though they wanted it to disappear it's never going to disappear because the podcast was too entertaining <laughs> it was too good so people kept bought backups of it once something's online it's there there's a presence of it unless you delete the internet <laughs> So what do you, I don't know how many people you've been friends with on Facebook or Instagram who've passed away. What is your take on what should happen to profiles after someone dies? Should it turn into a memorial that just keeps on existing? Should it be deleted? For the friends that have passed away, their profiles become... Like a, a digital memorial, and people still post every now and then birthdays or significant days, just a, a story, a memory. Some people use it as an outlet to, by sending a message or posting on the, this person's wall, like a conversation that, that that they're actually having with that person. Maybe that's a way to, to get some of their feelings out. Just an outlet for it makes them feel better to think that they they're talking to someone. Who they miss? I don't have a strong opinion. Or at least I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that the, the profile after X number of years should be just deactivated. 
is it really taking up that much space? What's the reason for deactivating it? If it's if it's helping someone deal with a loss, just let it be. Because getting rid of it, if it's not doing any harm, there's so there's millions of profiles. What's having one more doing really? I think it is nice to have sort of a digital memorial. I think what's tough for some people is just being constantly reminded still about this person and maybe not being able to move on. I know I've seen some people talk about like the memory system in Facebook as an example, right? That's like every once in a while, Facebook, its algorithms will just remind you of a post from a year ago or five years ago or whenever. And it's not always the most appropriate thing, right? Because it, it might be, hey, remember this picture of you and this friend from a few years ago? Okay, well, that, that person is dead now. And maybe you didn't really want to see it. There's like all these little things like that. Even I, I've even had this experience, this personally, and I know other people have, where that same thing happens like post breakup with relationships, right? It's like, hey, remember this trip that you took a year ago with this person who you, you know, broke up with? And I, I think I think just one of the struggles in general at this point when people have profiles, when there are so many photographs taken nowadays that you're in with people, I, I do I feel like it makes it more difficult to move on, period. And it's, again, whether it's death or even breaking up with someone, the, it feels like there's just confusion about, like, what's the appropriate thing to do in terms of deleting deleting pictures, unfriending profiles, all, all this stuff? I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a good model for this even at this point there, there isn't and for for specifically the online profiles facebook and instagram doesn't know that that person's dead could they could though conceivably the ba- based, profile could be marked as this yeah, person is ba- deceased right? ba- based on the based on the posts but how do you know for sure unless as part of your your of you dying somehow social media accounts get notification and a copy of your death certificate but this is towards the beginning of this conversation. This is what I brought up about. I haven't done enough research into some of these things. I feel like this has come up enough times at this point that Facebook might have an official process for the the person's family filing something with the death certificate explaining like this person is deceased. I don't know if that process exists yet or what it looks like. Yeah, I I, I don't think it exists, but I don't know for sure. Going back to just dealing with closure for past relationships or even de- deaths, pictures, I think this is something that people struggle with or have been for years and years, even before social media existed, just with loved ones' belongings. It could be some random object that has no to someone else, has no direct relationship to that person, but you have a memory associated with it, you hold on to it. We've talked about these little little trinkets and you have a hard time parting with them because you have an emotional attachment to it, even though it's just some random object of no value. No, ma- no material no, value. No, no material value, yes. There's emotional value to it, but there's an extreme amount of value and then you just cannot part with it. Like a Horcrux. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and basically, I guess, just in the digital age, it feels like there's way more of these things. Mm-hmm. I think what you what you said from the beginning of this is is actually the best solution. Is will you be my friend who deletes my browser history after I die? You you need that that kind oh, of a friend, right? right? The best solution is actually the one person who you just entrust with everything and. It, Something ever happens to me, delete this, delete this, destroy destroy all these things, go to this place to get... Your delete, treasure chest? Right, destroy these things. This, you you, know? You've got a lot of destroy on your, your, your post-death to-do list. Even though I'll be dead and I can no longer feel embarrassment about things, other people will keep on living, assuming that this universe is real and that I'm not just hallucinating everything, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> everything's not just a figment of my imagination. If that if that's true, everybody else is going to keep on living, and they can still feel embarrassment on my behalf, right? They yeah. can still see weird things. You would, you would, you would hate for and each each of your loved ones has a view of you based on your impact to their lives. And if they uncover some things that changes that impact, it can be it can be harmful to them. You don't necessarily want to do that. Well, I think also if you're whether it's personal journaling, writing to yourself, or even sending messages to other people, there are things that you might say in the moment that aren't true long term. Right. So you, that's maybe, what I'm maybe you express at. annoyance with somebody, or like you're angry at somebody at the time. You use certain words and phrases that you don't typically use. Yeah. And when you read it out of context, it becomes very distorted or the actual message is not how you intended it to be at the time. Yeah. It's appropriate at the time, but when you look at it afterwards or in a different light, it's not. So in my mind, there's a lot of stuff like that that mm-hmm. you wouldn't... I think everything can be yeah. interpreted that way. That's just That's just life, right? I mean... Opinions change about things. Sometimes you get frustrated with people, but then you get over it. It's there's just all these little things. They're like fossilized emotions, right? And I feel like I would be able to look at those things and understand the context. All right, I'm not going to take this too too seriously because it was a while ago. It was it may it might have made sense at the time. It might be more difficult for other people to do. I don't know. I think if we go back in this very podcast and look through the episodes, there's probably some things that we've said that now our opinions have changed of them. Every episode that I listen to after we record it, I'm annoyed at something that I said. I'm annoyed at things that I forgot to say that I didn't say. It's just... I try not to listen to the show because I just get annoyed at the way I sound. And I just think, I just want to say sorry to everybody who's listening and everybody who listens to me in real life. This this topic itself is pretty serious. Like, I'm in the mindset of, all right, this is major life planning. Because before even recording this show, we, we spoke about this topic at I, length. I am actually concerned about this. And I think I, I, I may have mentioned, but a while, a couple of years ago, I, I, I thought about these same things. And I wrote up a will that was going to be used. I went, I went online and I found a, a draft and edited it. And I've got that. But it's not filed with any kind of an attorney's office or anything, right? No, it's on my to-do list. And just within a few months, uh, my, my parents were thinking about the same thing. But I think they've got a different mindset than other motivations for for doing this and then i i added on like look i gotta just for planning worst case probably something to think about but it's something that it's always on the back burner but it's there yeah like when i'm just trying to go to bed this is when all the stuff comes up and then like oh i gotta do i gotta think about to me it would be pretty straightforward to just make a list of like here's every noteworthy account Mm -hmm. here's the login Here's the problem. This with sounds having- like such a pain in the ass, though, because even if I was to give someone, like, make a list and say, "Here's, here's the email and password combo to log into this thing," you can't do a that. A lot of them have two-factor authentication at this point, this, that. so they need into my phone. Yep. And getting into my phone to get my text messages, oh boy, that's <laughs> that's a that's a whole can of worms. So that you, I don't like that. <laughs> you bring up two 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 different topics that. I, I, topic sorry. You bring up two things that make this very difficult. If you if if the the account requires two factor authentication, is that the right word? If if the account requires two factor, I'm gonna leave that in. Is that the right word? <laughs> is that the right word? I like how I leaned into the mic to say that. Yeah. yeah. If it requires two factor authentication, and there's no way for you to write down username, password, hand it off to somebody in a document because they'll still need your phone. Also, if the password expires, you update it. it that's junk to them. Right. You got to remember. You got to remember to do it. The, you need to have a system in place that gets updated 
in within a reasonable measure. If you're going around spending all your time updating passwords as they change, and if you've got a lot of accounts, you almost need your own networking team. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know that there is a good way because pretty famously, like, so my... My iPhone is obviously encrypted because iPhones are encrypted by default. I encrypt, I enabled encryption for my laptop as well. And if you remember back to that famous case of like Apple refusing to let the FBI get into these phones, I know for a fact nobody can get into my phone or laptop except for me. Even if, even if my family proved, yeah, I was deceased, they need to get into these things, they wouldn't be able to, period, because it's encrypted and my password is total nonsense. The it's, only way they can get in is if they get your thumb. But even that's pretty short-lived. That only works for limited amount of time, and then the phone relocks, right? And then you have to use the password. That's right. And that's I don't right. have, I'll tell you what else, because again, because I'm an insane person, <laughs> I don't have some four-digit password for my phone either. I, I enabled the extra-long okay. kind. What is it? Because my, my attitude was, usually I can just use my thumb anyways, so that means if I, if I rarely have to put in the password, I should use something real long, right? Yeah. To me, that's, the, that's a big part of the benefit of, of the face ID and touch ID is when your phone is properly locked, you can use a real long thing because you don't have to constantly be typing it in. So you've got the long password. I've got a long password. Okay. I'm not even going to tell you how many, I'm not even going to tell you how long it is exactly, okay. but it's longer than four. Okay. What is it? But if there's someone who you don't like and you want to leave them something just real shitty, like some piece of some piece of junk, is someone legally obligated to deliver that to them if you leave it in your will, like, hey, I'm leaving I'm bequeathing my plunger <laughs> to this person. Please make sure it's this is in my last will and testament. You have to deliver this plunger to them and tell them that I'm giving them this plunger because they're a huge piece of shit and they should use this plunger to just get themselves down a toilet. It, <laughs> is anyone legally required to see to it that they get that message? 